This is the non-microwave truth and I am CL Whiteside. If you tuned in before, you know this is our first world problem segment. If this is your first time today, you're like, what in the world is a first world problem? So usually this is the time that I pose a question like, who is your favorite disciple and why? Or something like, what do you think the fruit was that Adam and Eve ate when they fell into sin? Man, that was a long time ago. That was the third episode, first world problem question. And usually with these questions, it's more of an opinionated thing. It's not something that we can prove is right or wrong. It's going to be one of those things where when we get to heaven, we'll have to ask the Lord who was right. But I did have a little more serious first world problem question in episode 62, where I asked those who are listening, like, what is the craziest place you've done outreach? And I think part of the question was, is there a place that you think that we should not try because of the fact that that establishment celebrates or supports sin. I asked if it was a good place and time and a good way to do it. And I asked if anyone has success. And you know what? I got somebody who hit me up and they shared with me just some transparent wow type information. So I was like, I want to take the first world problem segment today and share this with you as well. I got his permission to do this. But he told me one of the first things he had to do in his ministry was witness to gay prostitutes in his city. He said this is the only time that he would take a Bible with him. So nobody thought he was trying to get his freak on or trying to do some dirty stuff on the low. He had that Bible present. Now, this is a a great note to take if you plan on doing something like this. He said he made sure he told the police station what his intent was and what his mission was. So there was no funny business. Nobody could try to accuse him of some mess. And... I mentioned in that first world problem segment in episode 62, I talked about like how some comedians would try to have a field day if like a pastor was outside a strip club trying to witness to the people. And he was like, you know what? I actually did go to the strip club with someone in the church. So he said he actually went in the strip club to witness to the women that were stripping. And he said they would pay for a dance and the girls would come over. And then the girls would try to take off their clothes and, and, you know, try to get to dancing. But then he'd be like, nope, nope, nope. Keep your clothes on. And the girls would be confused. Like, what? And then he would be like, you know, just sit down. We pay for your time. We just want to talk. And then this is the time where they were witness to him. And the next thing, you know, he said they would be crying. They would be saying they don't want to strip anymore. And some of them would even run back to their dressing room. And he said he was just amazed at how God was able to work in those type of places, how the Holy Spirit was able to guide him in those situations. And when I say it worked, he talked about how some of them stopped stripping and they got regular jobs and he was able to help them build their resume. He said the difficulty came in because some of these women, you got to think about it, they're making thousands of dollars, maybe can make a couple thousand, three, four thousand dollars in a week. The easy way, shaking that rump. And now you're trying to have them work a nine to five and they might only get paid like a few hundred a week, 500 tops. So some of them did go back to the lifestyle. And for me, I was just amazed because it was like, man, God can work anywhere, especially when the gospel's being shared there. Now, don't you dare, don't you dare try to use me to be like, I'm gonna go to the strip club just to get you, get your peeping on, peep on. Nuh-uh, don't do that. But what I am saying is, be bold 
despite where you're at and be willing to share the gospel. And shout out to my man Candy for being willing to share that. I know the devil was kicking and stomping and angry. You brought the gospel in some places that he never ever thought that the gospel would get brought. Hey, but that's God's speed. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. We're starting our three-part series that is based off the parable of the lost son. This is prodigal part one, obedient child. And I've shared with you before, one of my favorite books is called The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. And when you mention a book or you use some things from a book, people think you believe everything that the author believes. And I just wanted to make it clear that I don't. But the book does give another perspective and have some great takeaways. Now, with this parable of the lost son, this is a feel good story, but often overlooked and forgotten is the older what appears to be obedient son. So that's who I want to start with today. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. If you're not familiar, the story goes something like this. The younger brother, he gets his inheritance from his father. He cashes it out. He leaves. He blows the money on prostitutes and being a wild boy. Like, who knows? I, I just think about someone going to Vegas today and losing their minds. And this younger brother, he loses everything. His rock bottom moment is when he finds himself looking at the yuck and the muck of the pigs and thinking like, I could actually eat that. And in that rock bottom moment, he's just like, I might as well just go back home and work for my dad. So he goes back home and his father welcomes him back with a party and celebration. And verse 25 is where we get introduced to the obedient brother. I put obedient with quotes. This is the older brother. And before we start talking about him, what it appears that Jesus is doing is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are that older, obedient brother. And if you remember anything about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would get super annoyed by Jesus' acceptance and attention to the other groups. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse two, it says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it's like, wait a minute, aren't we all sinners? But they held themselves in higher regards. Now, I want you just to think about this. Do you consider yourself morally and socially good? Do you find yourself saying, I can't stand the people who do whatever they want? Or I can't stand the people that just make dumb choices and feel sorry for themselves. Or are you quick to remember people's flaws and mistakes and how they were? And are you okay with people changing for the better? Now, let's start off with verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. And when you hear a fattened calf, I want you to think like this was a Wagyu steak party. I saw somewhere that it cost $30,000 for a cow that produces Wagyu beef or Kobe beef. Like that's a different form. It's, it's levels to this. So just think about that. A fattened calf that costs like $30,000. I heard it's so tender. It's like it's slicing butter. And the servant goes on and tells him he killed the fattened calf because your brother has come back and is safe and sound. Now, I want you to think, would you be mad or feeling some type of way if you were the older brother? Be honest. Would you be thinking the last thing he deserves is a party? Like, does it bother you when you see people breaking the law or just living like a heathen and not only getting away with it, but getting something that you feel like you deserve way more? I know I would. 
And if you agree with me, then you have a little Pharisee in you that you need to watch and monitor. And I can imagine an older brother responding like, hold up, wait a minute, Lil Danny's son? Danny who was disrespectful and asked for his inheritance? Who said forget about all of us and swore he was never coming back? You can't be talking about my little dumb brother Danny. I always saw on his Instagram story him smoking weed all the time, drinking, popping pills, buying women. And he wasn't even claiming our last name. That's before he blocked everyone in our family. Like, stop playing. You serious? And my dad is throwing this fool a party since he's back? Oh, no, you, you got to be kidding me. My dad is dumb. Now, it doesn't say that he responded like this, but I could see myself responding like that. I could see a lot of people in today's world responding like that. And a consistent trait of an older, obedient brother, a.k.a. us church-going folks, is us obedient brothers, we're always adding things up and trying to make sense out of it. And then in the back of the minds thinking, I would never do something like this younger brother did. Verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now, let's stop right there again. Have you ever realized or caught yourself feeling like you deserve to be consulted by God about the choices that God is making, especially when it comes to someone we don't think should be shown grace and they're actually shown grace again? Like, why, Lord? Why do you keep blessing this person? When we as people can't celebrate someone else's change, or should I say despise someone changing for the better, we are high key lost too then. The older obedient brother didn't want to join the party and was outside. This makes him lost too. Like, and the father is pleading with him to join the celebration. But verse 29, he answers his father and he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when I read this, I was just like, dang, the obedient older brother, he really doubted that the father loved him for sure. Like when he hit him with that line of you never gave me even a young goat, it told me that he only saw love through stuff. And how guilty are a lot of us like that today. We only think that people love us by giving us stuff or letting us have our way. And it's very easy for us to justify this because we say, I worked hard for it. And what we see on this episode of Prodigal Part 1, Obedient Son, is that the older brother really thought he was being obedient. But he didn't love his father. He didn't love his brother. He missed the biggest commandments. And this is something that I definitely disagree with in the book of the prodigal God, because in the in the book, the author makes it seem like the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they kept the law perfectly like Jesus almost. And it was just their pride that got in the way. But it was way more than that. They had a false sense of identity. They had a false sense of right and wrong. Their moral standard was based off some human rules that they made up and it wasn't based off of God's word. And when we get to being obedient, and I say that with air quotes again, is we think that that gives us the right and allows us to control God. It's like, since we're obedient, God should be our genie. Being obedient and good according to whose standards, though? All right, I'm obedient, so God should answer every single one of my prayers. God should give me the life that I see is fit, the life that I think is good. Oh, heaven is a for sure thing. Because I earned it and I worked hard and I've been a really, really good person. 
And again, with that comment of never even got a young goat, that older obedient brother, he forgot all the love God had shown him. There was no reflection. There was no relationship with the father. He didn't enjoy his father's presence. He didn't enjoy his father's security. It's like he really didn't even take the time to get to know the father and what he was about and appreciate his love and reflect on his love. And we can fall prey to this, too, when we have a somewhat religious background. Like we can acknowledge like, hey, I know there's a God and a lot of people do this. But in the back of their mind, they're like, but I really don't like God. The older obedient son, he acknowledges the father has power and can give stuff. And this is the same for people that can acknowledge there is a God. And a lot of times they can do this because you can just look at the beauty and the order in nature and be like, there has to be a God. But they know him and only know him by one of his many hats. They know God as a ruthless judge or a creator who doesn't care or a distant God who just wants to condemn, which is not true. And even us in the church or spiritual folks can get caught up just going with emotion. Like the devil whispers to us, you're such a good person. You deserve God's grace because of the great choices you've made. And we end up coming to this conclusion of, I know God is powerful and has access to all this stuff. And you know what? I really just want all the stuff. I don't like how God divides up the stuff, though. I've earned more, so God should give me more. That's the mentality that we have. Rather we know it or not, we start to think, I don't need to be stupidly loved because I do a good job of following the rules myself. And that's where we start thinking like, oh, I've earned my salvation. Now these younger brothers, these wild, reckless fools, I'm nothing like them. And with this mentality, we see that the obedient son, he all of a sudden, he stopped seeing his brother as a brother. In verse 30, it says, but when this son of yours, notice he didn't call him my brother. He says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. And that's where religion, notice I didn't say Christianity or true Christianity, but religion gets off at because there's a competitive comparison. And that's low key why a lot of people, they get mad when their brother has actually made a change. We like them better when they were the old way, the way that we didn't like, the way that we could hate, the way that we can feel more morally good about ourselves. It's like we got to step on somebody else to feel good about ourselves. And verse 31 says, this is the father responding. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And just looking at this moment, it made me think about how self-centered we can be when we feel like we are such good people and morally high and how this perception of ourselves, it truly alters what is reality. Because this obedient son, this older brother, he didn't see his father as his dad. He more so saw him like a boss. And sometimes that's how we see God. He didn't give a care about the father being happy. He definitely didn't care about his brother being safe and good. He only cared about himself and the false identity that he had created through doing so much good or working so hard. And that's it. Like Jesus just stops the story and he didn't finish. And I was just like, why? And I, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody knows the exact answer. Then I was just thinking like, well, maybe he stopped it 
because he's talking about the Pharisees and the teacher of the law and all the people that are supposedly supposed to be good. And it's just like, well, are you going to come into the party or are you going to stay rejecting me and my love and telling me who I should love and how I should love? And it's kind of one of those things that's just a beautiful illustration from God because it's like, tell me how it's going to end. You tell me how you are going to respond. And we know there are some Pharisees that became Christians and believers and followers of Christ. And then there were some Pharisees who were the exact opposite. Like, we got to kill dude. We got to get rid of him ASAP. And on this episode of Prodigal Part 1, Obedient Son, there are some underlying points that I wanted to share with you and kind of just bring to the light. I wanted to start with this son. I wanted to start with the son who was deemed as obedient or called himself obedient because because he's actually in the worst position. He's in a way worse position than the son who went and lost everything and almost was going to eat the pig food, even though he stayed home. That son is just as distant as the younger brother who went away to a far country. And it's like, well, why? It's because he was blind to his own illness. Like Jesus says, it's the sick who need a doctor. In Luke 5, verse 31 and 32 Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The obedient son is blind. He's sick and he doesn't even know it. He's lost and he doesn't even know it. This is him rejecting Jesus's gift of salvation. And I saw something that a biblical scholar said that pretty much sums this up. He said, his story reveals the possibility of living in the father's house and failing to understand the father's heart. When you think you can earn your way, you think you can earn your salvation and you think you're so good. That is what blinds us. That is what makes us narrow minded. That is what destroys our souls and our ability to have a relationship with God. And even some who call themselves Christians have this notion that you have to do a certain amount of good works in order to be saved. Well, then how many good works is it? Is it a million? Is it 500,000? Is it two million? How do you know it's enough? And that's that older brother obedient mentality. With true Christianity, salvation is offered, it's given, it's free, and then it's received through faith in Jesus as our Savior. It's not that you do so much good and then you get it. You do good because you feel compelled and you see the love, you feel the love of Christ. The love of the Father, the love of Christ, it actually changes you. Now, what our culture tries to teach us what our culture tries to microwave the truth of is that if you are obedient, if you are an obedient Christian or you look like a good person or you think that you're a good person, then you should be able to play God. That's where we want what God can do for us versus actually wanting a relationship with him. And that's why it's so important to get into the word and see what God has actually done. But when we don't put in that time, we view God completely wrong. And in this older obedient mentality type case we view him as a god who should be a genie we view him as a god that should do what i say we view him as a god that needs us and it's like well how do we keep from becoming like an older obedient brother in, in this parable and the first thing is just remain humble and we constantly need to reflect on god's love be intentional in reading his word and getting to know him meditate on his truths look in the mirror and embrace your flaws and don't be like, it's not that bad, but to just praise God and to thank him for using us, for blessing us despite our falls. And we also have to realize 
we can be blessed in ways that a lot of times we take for granted in ways that we didn't even ask or pray for. And if we aren't reflective and conscious of that, we look at it and say, you know what? God really doesn't love me. He does nothing for me when it's actually the exact opposite. And the last thing that I just want to leave you with today is if you really looked at the true older obedient brother, there's only one who was a perfect brother. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not angry when a lost brother comes home. He's geeked. He's excited. He's joining the party. Matter of fact, he's probably going to be the one that goes looking for you and finding you like, hey, bro, come on, come, come home, man, come home. In fact, you could even have my portion of the inheritance. I just want you to come home. I love you so much. I miss you. Whole family misses you. And what makes it even crazier is he actually had a reason to be ticked because he really was perfect. He really was 100 percent obedient. But what we see is that that relationship with the father and loving the father and loving his brother. He was consumed with actual love and not just looking good. He was the brother that was the exact opposite, the exact opposite of self-centeredness. And this is why he died for us. And this is why he took on hell for us. And this is why he paid a debt that we could never pay ourselves and blessed us with the gift of salvation. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this first part of our three-part series, Obedient Son, Prodigal Part 1. Next week, we'll be talking about the wild son, the younger brother. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.